Hello, one and all, and welcome back to Season 2 of History Spelunkers. This is your favorite podcast for digging deep into obscure topics in history. I am your host, Kelvin, he, him pronouns, and joining me today are my wonderful, fantastic, and curious co-hosts. Say hi. Hi, I'm Ryan, he, him pronouns. Hello, I'm, I'm Laura, she, her pronouns. Huzzah, we are back. How's it feel? Pretty damn good. It's been a while. It's been a while. Yeah, like like you said at the end of the last season, we need to take a bit of a sabbatical because of all the craziness that is the real world. But uh, you couldn't get rid of us that easily. We still have many stories to tell. And so without further ado, let's dive back down the rabbit hole. sure most of you are aware that England has a new monarch, the recently coronated King Charles III. Oh, I saw plenty of memes about it. A.K.A. Charles Philip Arthur George Mountbatten Windsor. His government name is that? That's his biological name. A.K.A. The most high, most mighty, and most excellent monarch, the Sovereign Lord Charles III, now by the grace of God of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, and of his other realms and territories, King, Head of the Commonwealth, Defender of the Faith, and Sovereign of the Most Noble Order of the Garter. I want to see that signature. Good Lord. (laughs) I want to see that on the bottom of a page. Is there an acronym for that? Uh, An acronym? Yeah, it'd be a... (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot of m's and s's uh very long silly names of course um but uh he's been waiting a long time to get all these silly names so i guess you know that's your thing uh but uh you know the pageantry is it's fun from time to time i think actually the day we're recording this um, I think yesterday, England time, was actually the celebration of his birthday. Oh. Not his actual biological birthday, that's in like November, but when you're king you get two birthdays 
you get the day that you're actually born, but then you get your official birthday celebration in June. So that way the weather's always nice. Like everybody gets June? Yeah, like they always just celebrate the monarch's birthday in the month of June to do like all the official ceremony stuff. Nice. (laughs) But I guess if you're going to have a king, you might as well go all the way through it, right? Sure, why not? But uh, yeah, let it be known that I'm not the biggest fan of the concept of monarchy in general, you know. (laughs) Nor am I. It's, you know, someone who's immune from the law, he can call for wars, and uh, he's only in charge because his blood is better than ours, because God chose his ancestor Athelstan some (laughs) 1100 years ago. To rule over the Britons, you know? There's not a man named Athelstans that was chosen by anybody. That is, uh, if you trace the line back, it oh goes all the way back to Athelstan. Um, some 30-odd generations ago. Oh, Jesus. So, uh, call me American, but that seems kind of fishy. <laughs> and a loser mentality, 1776. Um, <laughs> but there are bigger problems in the world, I guess. So. Yes. The British can do their thing, but... uh, They can think they're important now. Yeah, yeah. We'll let them pretend. I'm sorry to any listeners in Britain. Yeah. But (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but all fun aside, uh, Charles has indeed been waiting a very long time for the title. And uh, in honor, albeit belated, of the historic occasion, I thought... We could do a British episode, you know, kind of combat the narrative of this being, I just talk about American <laughs> and Texas stuff. We'll do an international show here. Oh, cross borders. So now that we are established that England has a new king, I'm assuming that you guys and the listeners are familiar with the critically acclaimed film series National Treasure. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> She's that. been waiting for this uh, one. <laughs> I love this movie. Uh, you know, in case for some reason you haven't heard of it, uh, it is the Nicolas Cage film where he steals the Declaration of Independence in order to uncover a secret hoard of Freemason treasure that was hidden by the Founding Fathers and all that stuff. Runs around U.S. solving puzzles. What does that have to do with today's episode? Well, we are going to basically combine and make a British national treasure episode. Oh my god. Because <laughs> um, while no one has actually seriously tried to steal the Declaration of Independence yet, yeah. yet <laughs> the same cannot be said of the precious valuables of the British monarch. Of course, they've been around for a bit longer, so they've had more time to try and nab them so let's go down and talk about the things that have been stolen from the king oh so if we were to set a nat okay so national treasure in the second movie they do go to england i'm pretty sure okay or they go to london they go to they yeah because they break into buckingham palace in order to do some stuff but that's eh, it's the quick scene, they only do that because they can't get into the White House, I think. Mm-hmm. Or something like that. Okay. Yeah, so if we are going to do a National Treasure England version, they don't have, like, a Declaration of 
pendants, really. I mean, they have a Magna Carta, but it's not the same thing. And even though it is a constitutional monarchy, they don't have a written constitution like we do in the States. It's kind of just conventions, and we just agree the things happen, and we have laws, and I don't know. makes no sense. So there's no one centralized document? There's no, like, the Constitution of UK. No, it's like a collection of, oh, these documents we generally agree make the rules for how we run things. It's Uh, the Wild West out there, I guess? Yeah. Or over there? Mm Mm-hmm. So what would you think of stealing uh, if you were Nicolas Cage or trying to make a Nicolas Cage steal British stuff movie? What are you having him steal? Probably something, like, really dumb and obscure of, like, the whole thing, the whole movie would be about you're trying to steal, like, the king's underwear or something like that because it's valuable. <laughs> or, I don't know. Like, not, not anything, like, diamond gold related, but just, like, I don't It's so cool to have the king's underwear. I would um, steal that. I mean, if you want to be serious about it, I feel like the, the crown jewels is, like, the one, like, really big ticket item that I can think well, of. yeah. If you immediately, want to go for money. that's like of royalty. Do yeah. you want do you want clout or do you want money? You I feel like you get both. I feel like you get both. True. Well, right, you are correct. Uh, we are going to steal the tr- crown jewels, or someone has tried to. Okay, yeah. Historically, and, do not incriminate uh, us. <laughs> yeah, let's rephrase that. Uh, we're gonna try and have them steal the crown jewels because that's already happened. But we have to go back to. 1670s oh. for the one serious attempt at the crown jewels being stolen. So once upon a time, there was a man named Thomas Blood. He was an Anglo-Irish man born in 1618. And he was from a respectable family who owned lands and had medium level status, I guess. And then... The English Civil Wars happened in the 1640s between the monarch, also a King Charles, this time it was the first, and Parliament over basically how much power the monarch should have, Um, the whole like divine right of kings and sort of thing, or is it the Parliament's the real government, back and forth. Well, anyways, they killed the king, and went off and then they got the king back eventually. But Blood originally sided with the royalists, or cavaliers as they were called back then, and supported King Charles's absolute right to rule. Well, whenever that side began to lose, Blood swapped over and started supporting the parliamentarians. And after the parliamentarians won... They, of course, executed the king. Oliver Cromwell became Lord Protector of the English Commonwealth. And as a reward for his service, Blood was given more lands in Ireland, and he was made a Justice of the Peace. But this English Republic was short-lived, like I said, and less than ten years later, a new king was on the throne, also a Charles, Charles II. And this new king, he was kind of upset at everyone that had killed his dad. So, yeah. uh, so he took back all the stuff that Blood had been given. Blood was understandably miffed about this. And so he made it his life mission to upend British rule. 
His first attempt to cause mayhem was a conspiracy to gather a militia of former parliamentarians from the Civil War and storm Dublin Castle and kidnap the Lord Lieutenant of Ireland and hold him for ransom. And so he's like the main guy in Ireland, I guess? The, yeah, he'd basically be like a governor of Ireland or okay. something like that. Um, yeah, because the Lord left the Lieutenant? Lieutenant. Lieutenant. Okay. For some reason, they're British and they say Lieutenant. Ah, okay. Even though there's not an F. But again, British people are weird. So, um, so yeah, they're trying to kidnap basically the governor of Ireland to hold him for ransom. But the plot was spoiled before the plan could go into effect, and so Blood had to flee the country, and he was on the run. And so he spent some time in the Netherlands, and from there he tried to organize some Scottish rebellions, like financing them. Um, but that didn't really work out either. And so <laughs> he returned to England to try and kidnap the Lord Lieutenant of Ireland a second time, but this time not to hold him for ransom. He was just going to kill him. Yeah, I mean, it's too hard to, like, capture somebody and keep them alive. It's just, like, just just give it to them. It's more simple. Just easier plan. And so uh, the second plot on December 6, 1670, Blood and a group of assailants attacked the Lord's carriage and managed to get him out and bind him up and put him on one of their horses. And they were off. But as they fled down the road the Lord managed to free himself and escape while they were running away. Because they were, like, about... They're trying to ride far enough away to where... From, like, his bodyguards and stuff in order to basically just lynch him up in a tree. But it takes time to hang someone, so they were just trying to get enough time far enough ahead. How hard is it to just kill him on the spot? They I got guess knives. They got. Do they have guns at this point? Is that guns? Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, they got that. Yeah, but you know, yeah, it's not a. It's, it's not, not a state. It's not a statement. It's just a random like, you know, robbery attempt or something. Guess, it seems yeah. like at that point. Efficiency. Um, <laughs> so the the Lord managed to get away, and uh, blood was not implicated, in he was not punished in any way because. Uh, it was dark enough outside that there were no witnesses except like who like exactly people were. It was dark enough to where you couldn't say you recognized someone. Oh, like God, you're not God. allowed to, or like people just couldn't. No, it's literally, it's just, literally too dark. Oh, yeah, it was just you too dark. See them. That oh, okay. He <laughs> the, would, the law I mean, says people you had an idea that oh, it was this guy that did it back then, but there was like no proof other than well, he's been mad at me before, and I he. You know, he someone kidnapped me. Yeah, it's a lot easier to like run away into the night in the 1600s. Yes. So uh, that's the kind of character we're dealing with. On now to the plot of the theft of the crown jewel. So the crown jewels of England are stored in the Tower of London. If you've heard of, like the clock tower thing. No, that's Big Ben. Oh. Um, that, that's like the Houses of Parliament. That's where they meet. Okay. But the Tower of London is like an actual, like, prison, basically. Oh. Our American is showing. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. But um, 
Yeah, the Tower of London is like an old prison that they've turned into a vault to store the crown jewels. Well, in April of 1671, Blood decided to steal the crown jewels. And so he went to the Tower of London disguised as a priest named Dr. Aleph. And he was going there to be like a tourist because they did that back then. Um, I mean, they still do that now. But like they had already like made it a tourist attraction to go see the crown jewels. Yeah, yeah. That's dangerous. And so he was disguised as this Dr. Aleph person. And he had an accomplice who he hired a local actress to pretend to like be his wife. Her name was Jenny Blaine. But he was a priest. Do priests marry? I think some in British... The, in the 1600s? I think British are okay. Too. Oh, okay. Oh, they're fine? Yeah, because okay. okay. they're like Protestants, so they're well, not... I was, was going to say, red flag. <laughs> yeah, so he was going, he hired this actress to be his wife, and they're just, you know, oh, we're going to be tourists. And the jewels themselves are kept secure by a special group of guards known as the Yeoman Warders, also known as the Beef Eaters for some reason. That's probably where that name comes from. Okay. The what name? I've heard of Beef Eater like Jen before. Yes. It, yeah, the mascot for Beef Eater Jen is the outfit of one of these guards. Oh. Huh. Okay. Okay. Didn't know that. So does that mean because they're like buff, they're like Beef Eaters? I don't know why they have that name actually. Um <laughs> And I don't know that they know why they have that nickname either. Um, <laughs> but uh, these warders are actually probably one of, like, the oldest jobs of, like, this group of people has been organized to do this job of guarding the crown jewels. And, like, they've been doing, and that's all they do, and they've been doing that job since, like, the early 1500s. Jeez. So, like... It's a group of, like, 30 of them, and they live full-time in the Tower of London. They have, like, their own restaurant that they only they can go into. You know, it's, like, a whole deal. And uh, they, like, live there until they retire or whatever. Well, on this day, the so-called Dr. Aleph and his wife were visiting the Tower. His wife, before they... After they had entered the Tower, but before they got to the vault, she just so happened to have a very severe stomach ache in the middle of their tour. And so the 77-year-old master of the jewel house, a man named Talbot Edwards, and his wife, who live in the tower, took pity on the couple, and so they invited them into their apartment to allow the Mrs. Aleph time to recuperate and recover from her severe stomach pains. And a few days after this incident, Blood, Dr. Aleph, he returned and he brought several pairs of fancy women's gloves as a gift to Mrs. Edwards for, you know, taking pity on his quote-quote wife. They got chatting and they became a very nice group of friends, um, Mr. Edwards and Dr. Aleph. And so... They met on several occasions over the next few weeks, you know, just chit-chatting, going to the pub, uh, 
And uh, their friendship became so close, in fact, that uh, Mr. Edwards and Blood were discussing that uh, they could possibly arrange a marriage between Mr. Edwards' daughter and one of Blood's nephews, quote-unquote. That he just completely made up. He made up like, oh yeah, I have a nephew and your daughter's young and they would be a perfect match for each other. And we're so good friends. Let's just become one big happy family. That's the only qualifying thing. They're both young, so they're, they'll make a good couple. <laughs> well, well, as friends talk about about setting up their family members with each other. But <laughs> No. <laughs> but, uh So uh, on May 9th, 1671 blood was going to bring this nephew um and a couple of his friends to come visit edward's home you know to let them the prospective couple fiancés meet you know and uh you know just have a good old merry time and during the course of their visitation um it was suggested that mr edwards being the head of the vault and all that stuff should give uh, his soon-to-be family a a private tour of the crown jewels. And uh, wanting to please his new friends, he was like, yeah, let's do that. And so his apartment is like basically next door to the vault. So it's not like they have to like, oh yeah, we got to go across the tower or whatever. And so... He took them to the vault where the jewels are secured and immediately after he had unlocked like the bars that separated them, um, Edwards was struck on the back of the head with a mallet that they had snuck in with them, the group, and covered him in a cloak, bound him up real quick, and stabbed him in the stomach. Oh. I mean, that's how you get it done. I mean, unlike the other time, where they just wanted to... Yeah, he realizes his mistake of, like, trying to take them to another location, move them, whatever, just... No, just get it done. And then after Mr. Edwards had been stabbed, he was not dead. Um, He had just... Tis a flesh wound. Um, 77 years old. Yes. Uh, In the 1600s. (laughs) Yes. So, uh... Whew, Yeah. But uh, the gang then began to proldure the crown jewels. I mean, trying to get them all out as they could. Um, and so the main crown jewels are the crown itself used in the coronation, the scepter, the imperial scepter, and the orb of state. It's just you know, oh, like yeah. the holy hand grenade from Monty Python. Yeah. It looks like that. The crown, St. Edward's crown, the crown only used during the coronation of the monarch. That's the only time they wear it. Uh, Blood took the mallet that he used to beat Mr. Edwards over the head and flattened the crown in order to make it fit into the bag better. That was the reason? Yes. Not out of spite or anything? No, he just flattened (laughs) it in order to get it out easier. Okay. The imperial scepter, it was too big to fit into a bag, so they began filing it in half. And uh, the orb of state, this gold sphere with jewels and a cross, he stuck it down his pants. Yeah, there you go. To get out. <laughs> yeah, this is it. Um, well, not Edward, but like people in the group were all doing these things. Yeah, just knowing how humiliating that is to like, like even for like the monarch, 
and all of them mm. to say like we got this stuff stolen and yeah this dude shoved it down his pants and it's, it wasn't it's even like a heavy but... gold solid gold orb too it's not like yeah but anyways uh so they're in the process of doing all this stuff and after a couple of moments edward's son just so happened to be walking by i think he had like literally just returned home from like being overseas or something you know and was coming to see his father and he saw this group doing things and so they were like oh shit and they began running mr edwards managed to ungag himself and shouted treason murder which alerted his daughter elizabeth from their apartment because they're close enough where you could hear that and so she went out and saw what was going on and was like, treason, the crown has been stolen. And so the thieves began running through the Tower of London. And of course, now all the guards know what's going on. And so a bit of a gunfight happens, you know, real slow gun battle of with all these flintlocks at the time. But but like, where were the guards if they weren't like at the vault? I get like, you know, not trying to let people in. Like, okay, you got to guard the entrances. Why don't you guard the vault? Oh, that was Mr. That was... Edwards' job. The seventy-seven-year-old. He, he failed. He didn't do it. The the like ancient, like he's seventy-seven in nineteen in the sixteen hundreds. You're telling me somebody that was one hundred and fifteen years old right now. Guarding the most valuable <laughs> thing in your country is a great idea. A Get a beef eater to he do it. He has a lot of experience. But he's senile. Anyways, obviously <laughs> he's running. This group is running, shooting, firing back at each other, um, and they manage to get to their horses, but they take too long in untying them, and so they get caught. The artifacts were returned, though damaged, and some of the jewels had disappeared. Some of the jewels just were never found. Like, they didn't know where they fell out in all the chaos or whatever. Or maybe some of the gang did manage to, like, swallow them or something. I don't know. Probably that, And yeah. managed to get... But, yeah, a couple of the original jewels did disappear. So they had to replace them and stuff. And they had to repair the crown and all this stuff. But um, the strangest part of this story you know because it could have just ended there he gets arrested he goes to jail for the rest of his life or executed for treason whatever blood remained silent upon his arrest and he refused to talk to anyone except for the king himself he's like i'm not going to explain my actions to anyone i want to talk to the king did you're not telling me they actually let him talk for to the some king. ungodly reason <laughs> oh the guards were like okay yeah sure and so they gave him a private audience with the monarch. With his gun, I'm sure. No, not with the gun. <laughs> Hold on. So, Mr. Blood got to have a private audience with the king, and who he had, you know, sworn to upend his whole reign and whatever, and had just stolen priceless artifacts from. And we don't know exactly what went down in between the two in this private audience, but Blood must have, like, godlike charisma. Because whatever happened, uh, 
after he left, Charles II pardoned Thomas Blood for his actions, returned his family lands in Ireland to him that he had lost upon Charles regaining the throne, and, uh, oh yeah, gave him a pension of 500 pounds a year. I guarantee you that was some kind of, like, blackmail that was going on. Like, it couldn't have been... No one has that good of charisma. Like, it, it was something... He knew a secret of some kind. It's either that, that or that. it's the more optimistic version of that, of, like, maybe Blood had some pull with the parli- parliamentarians. Mm-hmm. And so it was trying to heal the nation and show we have no bad blood for the parliamentarians that just overthrew our government. No, blackmail, for sure. The, Probably blackmail. The two theories are, uh, are that he, Blood had, like, a group, I mean, he had been, like, financing rebels up in Scotland and stuff, and so one theory is that they were worried about making Blood, like, a martyr for the cause sort of deal. And so they're like, we'll just let him go. And then he can't really say anything about it. Cause they never, yeah. you know, it's like, he didn't actually get away with anything. He's already switched sides once. He can switch again. We can just give yeah. him money. So that's one theory. The second theory truly is, is that the King just thought he was funny <laughs> and was like, yeah, sure. This guy's I like, yeah, you. this guy's harmless. Um, which apparently for Charles II would have been, like, very on-brand as far as, like, just not giving a single fuck, you know? <laughs> so, there's that. Um, but, yeah, so he got a £500-a-year salary, or pension, I guess, is proper term. But um, Mr. Edwards, the master of the Jewel House, who had, you know been pre you know he was beat up and stabbed uh and but he did manage to, like i guess in the end save the crown jewels or whatever by alerting everybody well um his award was 300 pounds just one lump sum of 300 pounds that he was actually never completely paid for um and so yeah they just kind of didn't... Uh, Mr. Edwards, he you know, he spent the rest of his life until he retired or died or something. He talked about it. He was like, yeah, uh, they beat me up and I protected the crown jewels or whatever. And uh, he's... I think he's even buried on the grounds of the Tower of London. But, yeah, huh. that's all he gets. Blood, with his lands and pension, he's basically back to being a noble... And so he goes on to be a member of court, gallivanting in English social life until he died in 1680. And uh, his epitaph on his gravestone reads thus, quote, Here lies the man who boldly hath run through more villainies than England ever knew, and ne'er to any friend had he was true. Here let him then by all unpitied lie and let's rejoice his time was come to die damn end quote well who wrote that for him i don't know man but yeah he went on to be like a celebrity but nobody hated him because he did a terrible thing so that is the story of the one time that someone has tried to steal the crown jewels 
that's kind of a sad story for something so important. It's like... Oh, buddy. Yeah. You tried. <laughs> yeah. You sure tried. He was so funny. I just let him go. <laughs> yeah. I, I, that's like... I hope that's the case. Because then it just shows how stupid the whole situation is. It's like, oh, he, he, that was a good joke, man. Yeah. You almost killed multiple people. Yeah, that, that kind of anticlimactic. So now we, uh, in our movie, we've managed to steal the crown jewels away in a more exciting version than what I just relayed to you. What's the next item on your shopping list? Oh, God. Well, There's probably gonna... some, like, Da Vinci Code, like, secret thing in Big Ben or something. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. you know. Well, I guess, the... like, a painting would be next. Of some kind? A painting's good. Painting's good. Or a sculpture. What what sculptures they got over there? Uh, Only stuff from other countries. Oh, well, oh okay. <laughs> I was gonna throw I was gonna make that, that joke earlier of like, well what's there to steal that already hasn't been stolen? <laughs> I mean fair, yeah. Nice, nice. Uh so uh how about we just steal the royal throne? Like the seat itself? The coronation throne. Okay. Or at All least right. part of it. If we're going All with right. the coronation theme, then yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, again, this isn't an original idea. Um, so, in the seat of the coronation throne, it's called St. Edward's Chair. I think it's a different Edward, though, that it's named after or something. But uh, St. Edward's Chair, the royal coronation throne where they put the crown on, anoint with oil and all that stuff. In the seat, the part that you sit on, there lies the Stone of Destiny. Like you sit on it? Yes. Like oh. <laughs> it built into where you sit down in the chair is the stone of destiny. It's pretty awesome, yeah. This stone of destiny. I'm not going to do that every time. But I might. Who knows? Um, it has a very long history in the British Isles. So the stone of destiny is also known as the stone of scone or scone. Scottish. I think it's Schoon. But uh, the Stone of Schoon, it is the rock upon which both Scottish and Irish monarchs were historically crowned. It's about 340 pounds. It's a block of sandstone that is 26 inches by 16 inches by 11 inches. And it has like metal rings bolted into the side to like move it around places if you wanted to and according to legend this was the stone that was a biblical pillow upon which the jewish patriarch jacob rested his head and had a famous dream about a staircase to heaven with angels and all that jazz so why isn't it the pillow of destiny now it's we sit on it so i <laughs> Just the way it is. Jacob's pillow or the stone of destiny. Stone of destiny. There you go. Um, so, um, and as the legend goes, this rock somehow ended up in County Meath, Ireland, on a hill called Terra. And starting in around 700 BCE to around 840 CE. The kings of Ireland were crowned upon this stone as part of their old ceremony deal. And then in the year 840, K 
Kenneth McAlpin, also known as Kenneth I of Alba, which is the first king of a united Scottish kingdom, basically. Um, he took the stone from the hill Tara and moved it to the village of Scone, or Schoon, and made it as part of their coronation ceremony for the kings of Scotland. And so from the year 840 to 1296, it was part of their coronation ceremony. And then in 1296, the English king Edward I invaded Scotland and took the stone to London and then turned it into their coronation chair for the King of England, since he perceived itself to be the ruler of Scotland now. However, when Scotland actually, like, won its independence and was like, no, we are definitely not part of England in 1328, the stone was not returned to them. Aww. So the English just stole it. Um, and so it was not until... James the Sixth of Scotland became James the First of England after Elizabeth the First died without any children, and so it went to her cousin James. So James the First of England, who was Scottish, in sixteen o three, was the next Scottish monarch to be crowned upon the stone of destiny. And so, there's a bunch of symbolism in all of that, as far as the place of the stone in both British and Scottish identities because, you know, for the English could see it as a symbol of unity between them and Scotland and, oh, British identity and the king of both, you know, kind of melded together in this chair. Um, but patriotic Scots could see it as like, oh, you stole, you stole my rock. That is my rock. You took it from me and didn't <laughs> give it back. So you are big, bad English people. Up yours, you know. I see where this might be going then. <laughs> so, regardless of opinions of it, the stone remained in the chair in Westminster Abbey. Notable event that happened in the interim uh, was that on June 11th, 1914... This is during the women's suffrage movement in England um, to get them the right to vote. A group known as the Women's Social and Political Mo Union uh, was involved in a terrorist campaign of placing bombs around the country in order to get the right to vote. That's always a good way to do it. And so um, they managed to get a bomb laced with shrapnel and get it next to the throne and detonate it. There you go. And so it did a good amount of damage to the throne itself and damaged, um, you know, a lot of the surrounding area. No one was killed. That was their main... It was not uncommon at the time for suffragettes to engage in political terrorism. Suffragettes? Yes, that is the term they used. Okay. People, women fighting for suffrage are suffragettes. There you go. Okay. Um, so yeah, hashtag feminism there. There you go. Um, and hey, the terrorism worked. So 
There you go. Because they did get the right to vote eventually. That's your answer, I think. Oh, yeah. We, we were randomly in a furniture store, and their stylized, like, house was, uh, it was, like, leather, it was, like, leather, kind of, like, cattle ranch style, and so all the books had their covers removed, and it was literally just, like, the bare spine, and then the book. Okay. And one of the books sitting on a coffee table or in a bookshelf was just titled, Does Terrorism Work? I flipped to the last page and it was like, well, I can't really answer that question in this book, but <laughs> the answer to seems say, to be yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was funny. In a furniture store of all places. That's that's funny. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but of course, uh, I'm telling you a story about thievery here, not terrorism. Mm-hmm. But uh, so the instance of thievery. Christmas Day, 1950. This is very much a movie plot, yes. Uh I think they actually did make this into a movie. But, um... The Stone of Destiny is stolen from Westminster Abbey. Oh my god. Four Scottish students from the University of Glasgow who had nationalistic tendencies, we shall say, decided it would be their patriotic duty to repatriate the stone to its rightful homeland and take it back from the British. Their names were Ian Hamilton, Gavin Vernon, Kay Matheson, and Alan Stewart. So, they managed to sneak into Westminster Abbey after hours, and it's a holiday, you know, so people aren't really up to a whole lot, and it's after midnight. And so they managed to sneak in and they managed to break open the throne to get the stone out. But in the process of removing the stone from the chair, they dropped it because it's 300 some odd pounds and it broke into two pieces. Oh. Ouch. This is mostly because of the previously unknown damage caused by that earlier bombing. Um, it like damp like created enough of a crack that whenever they dropped it, it split in half. And so you now have a larger half and a smaller half. So which one now is the stone of destiny? Is they it only is it only one of them? They are both collectively the stone of destiny. But a split stone is not two stones now? No, it we don't make more <laughs> destinies, unfortunately. Um and so the it took three of them to drag the larger half of the stone through the chapel. Of course, it's dark. They don't have, like, cell phones, and they don't want to use, like, flashlights. So they're dragging this stone through the chapel, down through, like, all the pews and stuff. By They wrapped one of their jackets around and, like, used that to pull. And so they managed to push and pull that down to the door. The smaller portion of the stone was easily carried by Ian Hamilton to the first of the two cars that they had with them. And so he managed to place the smaller piece of stone in the back seat of the car. And at that moment, Kay Matheson, one of the others, she noticed a police officer rounding the corner on his, you know, just doing his job. So she ran into the car with Ian 
and they quickly threw a jacket over the stone in the back of their car and they pulled the old let's make out so the cop doesn't notice us trick it's a great plan well that didn't work the cop was like what are y'all doing here it's christmas in the middle of the night and it's like oh i see you're just two lovebirds you know and uh again some excellent roles for charisma here um or maybe the cop was just stupid because um (laughs) the cop didn't notice the stone in the back seat but he spent an hour or so just chatting with them even though it's five o'clock in the morning he shares a cigarette with them you know oh merry christmas you know um so yeah had a very friendly lengthy conversation with them and uh eventually they managed like exit the conversation and then the two in the car drive off with the smaller piece of the stone so where is the other two people and the largest half of the stone so in this hour th- that was still sitting at like the door of the bank so after a couple of blocks ian got out of the car and began walking back to help the others get the other half k would drive off with the first half of the stone when Ian arrived back at the stone, he noticed that no one was there. The other two people had saw the police come up, and so they thought, like, oh, we're getting busted, and so they ran away. Well, Ian's like, we gotta do this. But also, crap, my keys were in the jacket pocket that we were using to drag this thing, and they are no longer in that pocket. They are somewhere in this church. Oh my god. And so he has to go around basically on his hands and knees, because again, no phones or flashlights or none of this, and he's going down trying to find his keys. Eventually he does. And once he gets his keys, he single-handedly has to get that stone into the trunk of his car. That's commitment. Patriotism. I'll give it. I'll give it to him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good job, Ian. So, eventually, he did manage to get the stone into the trunk of his car. How hard was it for those three to pull it if he gets it himself? Hey, you know. And then he drives off. And who does he just so happen to find hitchhiking down the side of the road but his two buddies that had abandoned him earlier? (laughs) So he met, they both get into the car. They're all excited that they've managed to pull this off. And so they drive off into the night. Now, they only got a couple hours before people are like, shit, the stone of destiny is gone. And so what they did was they actually drew, drew um, they took the larger piece of the stone and drove south of London and hid it in the middle of a field. In County Kent. Ah, how to hide a stone other than put it around other stones. Yeah, it was like, we'll just put it out here and no one's going to... Because it doesn't look like if we put it up this way, it's not going to look, you know, who's going to think? And so the smaller piece was entrusted to a friend of theirs near Manchester, which is about halfway to Scotland. And then they all, like, got on trains and made their way back to Scotland before morning. When authorities discovered the theft, the border between England and Scotland was closed for the first time in 400 years. Jesus. They're not messing around. And they're like, 
we can't find anything. They're doing all this investigating stuff, and they can't figure out what's going on. They don't find the stone. Eventually, they reopen the border after a couple weeks. Things have calmed down a little bit, and the students manage to return to England for their pieces of the stone, and they manage to get it into Scotland. They brought it up to them in Glasgow, where they contacted a local city politician who was kind of in on it, because again, Scottish patriotism, and so they managed to find a stonemason to help them repair the Stone of Destiny. Oh, yes. So the stonemason, he repaired it, and in the process of repairing it, he inserted a small brass casing um, that had a piece of paper inside of it, and we don't know what's on that piece of paper. But he inserted this thing whenever he was cementing the stones together or something. And also in this time, the stone was temporarily stored in the basement of the American consulate in Edinburgh. Okay. They didn't find that out until after the fact, whenever someone was like, yeah, no, I brought that in in a suitcase and it was stored in the basement for like a week or two. A 350-pound stone in a suitcase? Or a crate or something, yeah, but... (laughs) Yeah, they were just moving it around from place to place so that way the cops couldn't find it. And, uh, yeah, the cops didn't find it on their own. It was only, um, it wasn't until April of 1951 that they received an anonymous tip and found the stone. And the tip was the location of the stone. And it was sitting on the altar in the ruins of, I'm probably going to say this wrong, but it hasn't stopped me yet, um, the ruins of Abroath Abbey, which is an old church that has fallen into ruins. And that's notable because that was the location where the Declaration of Scottish Independence was signed in 1320. Mm. It's more of a statement now than it is a... And uh, so, yeah, it was left on the altar for the authorities. The stone was not able to be returned to Westminster until the next year because King George VI died, like, not too long after this happened. And um, this is Elizabeth II's mom. I mean, Elizabeth II's dad that died. He had lung cancer or something. He passed away, like, a couple months after the stone was found, and so dealing with the transition and stuff kind of took priority of getting the stone back. They eventually did get it back for the coronation, though. Rumors were, is that the reason why the authorities were made aware that it was just sitting on the throne was that there were copies made and that the English didn't get the real copy of the stone and that the real Stone of Destiny is still out there in Scotland. I mean, how do you how do you verify that a stone is is authentic? You know, yeah. like, what do you do? I'm I'm sure there's people that that's their job. Does it have the butt imprint of every English monarch? Does it right? smell weird from all the butts <laughs> that are sitting on it? Uh, but uh, you know, that's just a conspiracy theory. Um, yeah, so the stone was returned to to the chair. They re, you know repaired everything, and the four kids. Uh, they were not punished because, again, it was like, we don't want to make the martyrs of the independence movement, you know? And so, and 
uh, one of them, I don't remember who, but one of them, like, refused. He, like, never admitted to doing it, even though the others of his group was like, yeah, he was with us. He always denied it until he died. Um, but, yeah, they all got off scot-free. And uh, I think as part of, like, this not wanting to elevate it, you know, the it, it's... The theft is downplayed, and they simply, like, if you look it up online, it's just called the removal of the Stone of Destiny. Yeah, because they don't want to admit that four college kids yeah. stole it. Yeah. And were able to, yeah. And it took them that long to figure out that it Yeah, was it took them months, and they didn't find it. They had to be told where it was by an anonymous tip. <laughs> Made to look a fool. Yes, but uh, the story does not end there. There's a happy ending for this. In 1996, during the process of Scottish devolution, which is basically, you think, like, states' rights or federalism, but make it British, um, they were returning some local government powers to Scottish people to where they can write their own internal laws and that sort of thing. And so... As part of that whole process, symbolically, the Stone of Destiny was returned to Scotland and was placed in Edinburgh Castle with the Scottish Crown Jewels on the condition that whenever we have need for it in a coronation ceremony, that it is returned, replaced in the chair. We so do the, the coronation ceremony and then you can get the stone back. Aww. So is that what just happened then? That is what happened. The throne... The, the stone was delivered to London for the coronation of Charles III. They, it was like a whole big train proceedings or whatever. And um, and while currently the stone is displayed at Edinburgh Castle, it will eventually be moved, I think, in 2024 to like a museum that they're making for all of this stuff in the city of Perth. Who knows what's going to happen if Scotland becomes independent again. But that's a hypothetical. So. That's kind of cute that they share it, though. Like, they found some kind of some kind of solution for now, you know? But who knows? So, uh, yeah. That's the story of the theft of the Stone of Destiny and the Crown Jewels of England. So really now we just need to know what was written in that brass casing mm -hmm. in the stone. And if there's nothing else that we've learned is that there's no consequences to this. Exactly. So someone needs to do that out there. You gotta know. <laughs> Listener challenge. <laughs> <laughs> For legal reasons. Yeah. We no. have to say this is a joke. Yeah. Ha ha. Ha ha. <laughs> oh, well, it, it, it's the British. We're out of their jurisdiction. Yes. They mm -hmm. can't do anything to us. Yeah. Well, the stone was on on uh, American ground for a while, right? You say it was embassy. It was in the consulate. the consulate. So I I, I think tech, yeah, because is that embassy United is technically ground? yeah. So uh, we just don't get it back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, no, that that's the story. And uh, what do you think? Do you think we can? I think we can make a movie out of that for yeah. sure. For sure, I feel like it might need to come in threes. But then I think just for the historical accuracy, we can do it with just the two. I think, I think we can make so, that yeah. work. 
Yeah, I, I, I couldn't find, like, any other, like, weird theft things to, like, round it out with three, like you were saying. Mm -hmm. But I did find a weird story about Oliver Cromwell. Um, he, he was the guy that took over England after they killed the king and back in the 1600s. And uh, apparently, after he died, Charles II came back to the monarchy and he began punishing all these traitors, like I said. Well, Cromwell was dead, but he still wanted him to be punished. So they dug up his body and put the corpse on trial for treason and found him guilty. And so they had his corpse drawn and quartered, which is a fancy execution method of where they stretch you out on horses and tear your limbs off your body. Oh, that was probably too easy if he's a corpse. Yeah. And, uh, and his head was then placed on a spike on top of the halls of Westminster. His head, this disembodied head of the man who used to rule the country of England was just sitting on a spike, just slowly decaying over the years. Oh, it stayed up there. Yeah, it just oh. was left up there for, like, decades. Oh, oh, Jesus. I mean, is the skull still on the, on the thing? So that's the thing. Eventually, and I don't have any, like, the time scales, but this is, like, decades, if not a hundred years, you know. Um, the head, eventually, there was, like, a storm that happened, and the head disappeared, and so the head went missing for a bit, but then it just turned up like a head impaled on a spike turned up in like a thrift shop or something like of that, <laughs> like that caliber of low quality curiosity store. And it was like, oh yeah, this is Oliver Cromwell's head. And it got like sold around to all these like fancy collectors in England just being passed back and forth. For like a hundred years of this slowly s sort of mummified slash not really decaying head on a spike. That was Oliver Cromwell's. It lasted until like, it was all the way up until like the 1950s or whatever. This being passed around. Oh my God. Eventually they were able to do like DNA testing and be like, yeah, no, that's Oliver Cromwell. Like, and sure. and uh, it wasn't until like the 1960s whenever they someone managed to purchase the head and then they buried it with the rest of his body. But yeah, the head was like bouncing around the world for like 300 years. My God. Wow. I thought, I thought it would end up like in a museum somewhere. It's already been out of the grave for that long, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I it ended up in like weird sideshow type things or like I said, curiosity stores on display for a good bit. But yeah, no, that's uh that's very strange, yeah. That's the other weird story. Hmm. Well, then it is in threes. So. Yeah, that's yeah. just the weird side story that's going on in the whole, during the whole <laughs> yeah, time of the O2 main theft. So we gotta steal... So if we steal the crown jewels, we gotta... No, okay. Just thought just came to me of how we improve and we're actually like doing something new. We have to find the missing original stones from that got lost whenever the crown jewels were stolen. Yes. That were never found. We gotta actually find those. Uh -huh. We gotta get the brass casing out of the Stone of Destiny. Uh-huh. And we gotta find the head again. 
or are we or are we the ones that originally stole the head mm. because it didn't just disappear in a storm the world may never know <laughs> but uh so yeah i guess that'll close us out for our first episode back very exciting yay, yay. Yes. Uh, thanks for listening. I hope y'all enjoyed today's topic. And if you did, please tell your friends about us. We're hopefully going to get these back out and rolling to you much quicker than they have been recently. And for those who want to like go dig deeper, of course, I'll put some notes down in the show notes below of sources and different articles and things. And, uh, you know, that, yeah, that's all about it. Uh, our music is by Mountaineer. You can find their stuff and more on upbeat.io. As always, we'd like to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast not in England, but on occupied land that rightfully belongs to the Kiowa, Comanche, Tonkwa, as well as other indigenous peoples. If you have any questions, suggestions for future episodes, or you just want to say hi, um, you can reach out to us at History Spelunkers. That's history. S-P-E-L-U-N-K-E-R-S at gmail.com. Again, thanks again for listening. We're so glad to be back. And thank you for coming down the rabbit hole with us. Until next time. Bye-bye.